Mojave Beach Productions. Hey there, everybody. It's Patrick and Esther again from Mojave Beach Productions. And hey, Esther, do you know what our listeners really seem to enjoy? I hope Mojave Beach Productions. <laughs> That's right. But also whenever we do our behind the scenes segments. So and today, let's give them a real treat to go along with our Mojave Melody Cafe Theater and all its beautiful original music. Uh, we're being joined today by Tony Beaulieu's Hollywood producer grandson, Jack Allen. And uh, Esther, I think you said you've been fortunate enough to know him for quite a while. Years and years and years and years, <laughs> years and years. Yes, Jack is here with us to talk about his grandmother, Tony, and all of the wonderful music she wrote that never got the exposure or the recognition that it really, really deserved. Thank you, guys. I appreciate the invitation. Patrick, let's first tell the people a little bit about Jack, because Jack is a Hollywood producer, has been ever since I've known him, 30 years or so. He's done some incredible work, but he's also wrote a wonderful book about Marilyn Monroe. What was that called, Jack? Marilyn by Moonlight. Absolutely gorgeous. And based on her personal letters, Jack is known as a really authentic Hollywood historian. Did you ever do any of the um, Ted Turner classic introductions, Jack? No. For a while, I was on some of the E! Entertainment Mysteries and Scandal shows. But I've done a number of documentaries. documentaries Mae West, I did four of them. Did you tell me you were born in Hollywood? Three generations deep in Los Angeles natives. So we're from Los Angeles natives. Yeah. Tony <laughs> is your father's mother. Is that right? And your father was from Hollywood. She was born in South Dakota, but she, and grew up in Minneapolis. But she is, she wrote a lot of Latin American compositions, and people always assume she's Latin American. You were telling me that she started playing the piano when she was about six years old or something. She was considered a child prodigy. She was yeah. three years old when they set her up at the church organ. She was considered a prodigy in violin because her sister was a violinist, and she just picked up her violin and started playing it when she was a child. When she did get a degree though in violin. Well, she started playing the violin and she started doing recitals and, and uh, radio work and giving concerts at the age of 10 in violin. By the age of 14, she was doing her first composition. And then wow. she was how old when she got her degrees? She got a degree at the age of 18 and she had both a PhD in violin and her master's in piano. That's amazing. And, and she joined the faculty at the age of 18. She now, was, she could join a faculty, but she couldn't join ASCAP. She went on and no, she, she wrote right. all this wonderful music. And I know she was a homemaker for a very long time, but she ended up in the Hollywood community. So you didn't actually get to meet your grandmother until she was how old? Uh, well, I actually met her as a four-year-old, but I didn't remember too much about her. I didn't know her until many years later from the 1960s when she came back, moved back permanently. So it was, yeah, it was really then that I got to know her, who, who she was. As a child, I'd heard her play the piano, went crazy, you know, with a fascination. And, and, and you, you didn't play the piano yourself, though, but your grandma taught you, didn't she? Yes, because I, I begged her to. I mean, ever since the age of four, hearing her play, the memory of that was so uh, moving that I just, I felt like I needed to or wanted to play the piano. I didn't know if it was possible that I wanted That's to. That's amazing. Um, I want to ask you about the first song that we play here on Mojave um, Melody Cafe. Huh? I think the first one that's offered on the roster there is um, Mystic Night. She was how old when she wrote that? She was in her 70s, late 70s, probably. 
And she was writing, she was more prolific in her advanced age than she was at any other time of her life, really. She, she went to the piano every morning and she worked. And when she worked, stuff came out right away. I mean, it was like magic, almost watching her compose. And Mystic Night was something she, she did one day. And the melody just was so, her compositions are so, you know, she explained to me once that when you, when you write something, when you compose something, you, there's only three ways to do it. You either do it melodically, harmonically, or rhythmically. And the rhythmically is the way they do it today. I mean, it's, it's the simplest way. Turn on your rhythm machine and start singing. But the hardest way is to create a melody out of nothing. The harmonies and, and the rest of the song on. And that is what she seemed to be able to do. And very few today can do that. Uh, it, it's right. like she heard the whole thing finished in her head when she sat down mm -hmm. to write it, didn't it? it? She also heard a melodically executed piece because, you know, there's a lot of songs that don't have either strong melodies or any melody. They are just kind of blathered out. A lot of my favorite music is the music that I and that I can never forget in from the history of music are the songs that are beautiful melodies. They always stick in your head. Those are the ones that you just can't forget. Like name one. Well, like Laura or you know, oh, yeah. any great any great theme music is usually mm -hmm. a beautiful melody. Even as time goes by from Casablanca. You are not hearing when you sing it, you're hearing only one thing, and that is the movement of the melody. And so that is something it, that's why I long for a lot of the great music for the past. And, and I'm always listening to it because it's, it's there's a beauty there that yeah. it is not really comparable. I was going to ask you kind of as an initial question before we got too far and you're asking me things. Um, if you could just for the fun of it, name one female composer from this century, in the 1900s, who composed classical music. No. Oh, I drew a blank. I don't know. That's a riddle. It's a mystery. Tony Beaulieu was one, but nobody knew who she was either. You know, I mean, it was very difficult when she came along. There were not women in the music business at all. I mean, nowadays you have at least a good deal of in pop music, you have women, but not even in pop music in the earlier days. The music business was controlled by men and they also controlled the music organizations like ASCAP and everything. So my grandmother could not become a member because they weren't interested. They, they closed the door to her. Tell us about the Hollywood career. Well, when she started composing, when she moved here back originally in the 30s, she moved here and then she moved away in the 50s and came back again in the 70s, 60s. But when she first was here, she got married, she had my dad, and he grew up here in LA and she was doing her best to, to compose. But her only option was to start her own record company so she could start putting out her own music because nobody else wanted to hear it. Nobody else wanted to give her a chance. So, What year are we talking about, Jenny? About 1945. And Latin American music was the thing. So she could write Latin music very nicely. And she wrote a lot of what I think are pretty sensational Latin compositions. But she was doing most of the Latin stuff in the 40s. She started her own record company and she wrote Jungle Rumba which was an original instrumental that she put out on a record. And not only did it sell to the music fans, but it also drew the attention of other top performers of the day, like Carmen Cavallaro and Freddie Martin. 35 different records were made on uh, Jungle Rumba after she issued it. 
in other words, her opportunities were created only by herself taking chances and winning by, by luck. Go back to MGM. So she, she did I'd this. I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. So she got the offer in 1948 to, um, they came to her and said, can we use Jungle Rumba, her composition, as a highlight production number of a movie, which meant that they would be, be spending a couple of weeks producing this with dancers, a big production number that would be stand out from the other songs. And For what movie? It was the movie was called Neptune's Daughter. It was an MGM musical with Esther Williams and Red Skelton, Ricardo Montalban, and Betty Garrett. Jack, let me just interject something for people who don't yeah. know. Betty Garrett was the landlady in Laverne and Shirley. <laughs> yes, she was. A darling person. Okay, but getting back but, to that. So she, Xavier Cougart is the one yeah. who played. Yeah, he conducted it in the movie because MGM always used Xavier Cougat and all the movies that featured Latin compositions. He was the big Latin honcho, the band leader that was known. It was also funny in Isle of Lucy. It's a joke between Desi Arnaz. He has a running joke about Xavier Cougat because he's like the poor man's Xavier Cougat. It really was kind of a joke because Cougat was really, he didn't do anything. He just, he just went through the motions of conducting whatever it is they were performing. And that's what he did in this movie. What was yeah. Tony's movie credit? She didn't get any. Why? Ostensibly because she was a woman and they didn't have to. In those days, women were not afforded credit on some uh, productions. And the guy who was in charge of the music, who wrote the other songs from the movie, uh, was probably jealous of the fact that she was the wrote the highlight production number. And he didn't because he said, I, I'm not going to have your name when I do a picture, it's just my name. So she was writing all of these Latin American songs. <laughs> so was it during this era that she wrote Lamento del Matador? No. Interestingly enough, she wrote that in her in her later years. See, she wrote that after Mystic Nights. Uh, at the same time, in that era, at that period, yeah, in that late later in her senior years, uh, she wrote. I, it's kind of exciting because a Mystic Night is a terrific really a terrific tune, a terrific melody, a beautiful composition. And to know that she didn't like get watered down in her old age, you know, some of her really, really best work was later in her life. And uh, Lament of the Matador is simply, it's a Latin composition. It sounds sort of Segovia-esque, but it's really a very sad um, instrumental about a, a matador who's lost the fight. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Do you know what she intended it for? Uh, when she, you know, when she wrote music, she didn't. She wasn't thinking of marketing or you know that. And I'm probably because she never really got any response like that. Nobody ever um, embraced anything. They stole things. Yeah. But she had no way of knowing that she was just not marketable back in the day when women were not allowed to. It was kind of hard to go viral back then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> kind of. Is there a story about New Horizon? Her New Horizon is also from her later days, and it's really a classical, very exciting classical composition that is almost Rachmaninoff. Its opening is, is very vigorous and a little bit advanced, but it's, it's sensational. It really is an exciting classical composition that's very picturesque. But, uh, all of her, yeah, all of her music. I have to tell you, when you sent me Grasshopper Rag, I got such a kick out of that. She wrote. She wrote them after she saw The Sting. 
What about knocked her into the clouds? I know she did a lot of things that had to do with the weather. <laughs> she wrote two tunes in the 50s, Trailer to the Stars and Nocturne to the Clouds, which mm. were really beautiful. And later in the 70s, she wrote three more in that vein. And I said, why did you do Celestial Suite and put all five of your serious classical numbers that have these themes into one? And she did it, but she added a couple. I mean, she wrote some original material that that had never been heard, you know, some stuff that no composers ever even attempted to, to do. And I watched her do it right in front of my eyes. So I was, I was really impressed with her ability to translate a thought, an emotion into, into the actual music results. Nocturne to the Clouds, when you listen to it, you are looking at clouds. You know, you mm -hmm. can see the clouds in your mind, in your spirit. And that is what Nocturne to the Clouds becomes. It becomes a transcendent kind of a thing where, that is purely spiritual. Oh. I think it should be considered in the same vein as uh, Claire de Lune. It's really uh, going on a limb because there's there are a few compositions finer than Claire de Lune. Uh, we're going to wind this up a little bit here with uh, asking you about Whispering Rain because <laughs> I know you're really taken with the, with the way Tony could make a piano sound like rain or she could make it sound like wind. And Spring Rain she wrote back in the 50s and it's a blues tune actually. And you can hear a, a driving blues melody and it's very nice, but it doesn't mix with classical just because it's about rain, but you can hear the rain through it and it's great fun, but it's in a lighter vein and a blues vein. I love the fact that you said the other day when we were talking that it took an entire orchestra to come up with winds, cymbals, and drums, and and your grandmother. He they had a, a, he has a storm in the pastoral symphony number six. When he's executing the storm, he's got the thunder and lightning, and it's a timpani, the, the flash of the. And he's got all of the instrumentation to create all these effects. But Tony did the wind. There's really turbulent storm winds and lightning and thunder with just the piano. It's amazing. It, it, it is amazing to watch. Emotional. You always say you don't play the piano like Tony and, and you play yourself down, but I love to hear you play the piano. And I know you were inspired by your grandmother. Did she help you a lot with your piano? No, uh, she didn't have time, but she inspired me to do it myself. Yeah. You got it. I, I hear your grand. In fact, sometimes you play your grandmother's music and I think it's Tony playing, and then you tell me, no, no, that's just me doodling, but. She would say, I would rather you play Twinkle Twinkle Little Star with one finger and give me some feeling than, mm -hmm. than play some dance number that's technically demanding, but you don't feel any emotion. There's no, there's no emotion. There's no feeling in it. And that is what music is for me. You know, I, in her pieces, I watched her perform them and play the piano, and she would go into almost like a, a trance when she played. She mm. was very deeply emotionally mm. involved, carried away. Do you think you think you're born? You come into the planet with certain things that are destined for you. I mean, she started playing so very young. Do you I think, think this is something she brought in with her? I don't believe that a three-year-old can play the uh, um, piano, organ or piano or whatever. I saw one on YouTube. She was three and she was playing Mozart. I know. Uh, she can barely sit up. You know, those her hands aren't big enough to do what they're doing. And so she's clearly carrying it over, in my opinion. 
uh, from another life where she did train, where she did have all the exercises, where she did have, hey, you take it from me. You cannot sit down to a piano if you've never played one and have fingering. It's no way, you have to drill through these exercises that are so boring and tedious, you hate it. That's why most people drop out. So it's not possible for a three-year-old to just play Mozart. The fact that she's doing it says to me that she did it in her past life, in a past life. This is another kind of podcast we want to do, different ways of looking at life and life beyond, life before. Because mm-hmm. you could, you know, some will say, oh, no, that's Mozart or Beethoven or somebody playing through her. These, you know, we'll never know. This is all open to a lot of speculation and theory. But the, the, the bald-faced fact is, as you say, a three-year-old can't do that fingering. Where does it come from? I think it's amazing. Patrick and I want to do a series on things that we can't explain. Well, it's going to be an interesting series. It's going we to be Tony, questions with no answers. Tony could be in that, and I'll tell you why. When she got up from the piano, she would do. She was little. She was petite. She had little hands. Mm-hmm. And when she played the piano, you'd never know it. She was playing octaves and everything else. But then she'd get away from the piano. She'd turn around and she'd go to push it down the the tape recorder button, and her finger would push down two buttons by mistake. In other words, she was uncoordinated in the moment that she was touching a typewriter or, a, or or pushing a button down on an electronic device, but then she turns around to the piano and now she's playing octaves. It's kind of amazing too, you would think if she if she arrives on the planet uh, destined to do this, wouldn't you think there would be some sort uh, of, a, of a big reward out there? And yet people today, you say her name and they don't know who you're talking about. Patrick and I are excited about opening this Melody Cafe because it's an opportunity for people to hear music from a lot of people that haven't been heard of. And Patrick and I were talking about this. In fact, I should shut up and let Patrick talk about it, how we want to have a lot more of Tony's songs. No, we absolutely want more of Tony's songs. There's other artists as well, but we're looking for those rare gems that are that people haven't heard of and and uh, bringing something new that that they haven't already been exposed to and that deserves a light of day. Much, much I want like to thank you is. both very, very soundly for that because you're making it possible for her to be heard. But I'm going to introduce you to some other things from other genres that she's done. Oh, great. Okay. Yeah. Okay, Patrick, we got to go, honey. Tell him bye-bye. Yes, we do. <laughs> Thanks, Jack, for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, thank you so much for sharing the sharing the beautiful work of your, of your grandmother and for... Um, not only with us, but with all of our listeners too. We appreciate you very much and uh, look forward to next time. Yep. See you later, everybody. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Mojave Beach Productions. Okay. That was great. That was, we, we kept it in a good time range and let's do every the conversation. It gets better. It can only get better, you know. It's, it's the third time. We ought to be really good. Yeah. <laughs> we can rush, rush it. No, I mean, I felt a lot better about it. Yeah. Uh, oh, me not too. Racing, you know, running like a crazy. I just want to take a moment to thank you for soaring with us on the wings of imagination. As you listen to stories, we're having so much fun creating for you. If you enjoy what you hear, Take a moment to subscribe to Mojave Beach Productions on your favorite podcast app. And thanks a million.